All right, this is Josh Mills. And this is Maggie Snyder. And this is Acquired Tasting. So want to welcome you guys back to this next episode of Acquired Tastings. I'm super excited because my good friend Maggie Snyder is here. Yay! Hello! And we're going to be talking about wine today. Um, in this podcast, we're going to be going over some of the wines and pairings that got Maggie and myself into wine. Are you ready, Maggie? I'm so ready. Before we get started, as the listeners remember from last time, my dad is in in Montana and Maggie and I are down here in Arkansas sweating it out in the 90s and they're up there in like the 50s and 60s it's just not fair must be nice he left me in an envelope the blind tasting from last time if we remember it was a whiskey or I believe it was a whiskey and if I was wrong it was the weirdest liquor I've ever drank (laughs) here it is ready drum roll it was the Oban Little Bay so yes I got it just about right. I, I remembered it being open because of that little bit of salinity. Just a reminder of what we're doing, what we have tonight. Um, I brought the Nipizano Reserva uh, Chianti from Italy, and then Maggie brought Chateau Roman and Lou Lacoste Saltern. And for the foods, we've got kind of Italian spread with wood-fired pizza and some gnocchi in pomodoro. We have prosciutto di parma, strawberries, pecorino romano cheese, parmigiano reggiano, and And to go with that, we also have some aged balsamic vinegar from Modena. And Maggie, what did you bring today for your pairings? First of all, your dad is totally missing out on this. Totally. (laughs) This looks like a Thanksgiving Day spread. For my pairing, um, I wanted to do uh, foie gras because that's kind of my aha moment was. But foie gras is very expensive and also very um, questionable in the production method. Uh, So I have a duck and pork pate made with oranges. And I brought some very like sweet, savory crackers to spread that on and um so that was like my original pairing and then just for funsies i brought uh, some dessert because you can um do a sweet food with a sweet wine and i brought some spicy uh food because Ooh. spicy food and sweet wine go well together so it's like this local um snack mix it's called wicked and it's their spicy style awesome i'm excited this looks so good and we're gonna be so full when we're finished with this you want to go from dry to sweet sure yeah we can totally do that all right cool so we'll go with the uh nippies on a one of the reasons I picked this is Italy is a big part of my kind of just of my journey with food and wine. I was obsessed with Italy as a kid and was actually able to go to Italy when I was in college. Chianti was one of those things that just kind of jumped off for me. Prior to this wine and this experience, I mean, had you been drinking like the cheap wicker basket Chiantis? I did not really have the wicker baskets until I got back. You know, this one and one other were kind of, you know, being a college kid, it was the special wines. And then the still having the Chianti with it was like the straw bottle, you know, but seeing it on the tables in Italy was really cool too. Or just <laughs> smell first. What do you smell? I smell leather and dried herbs. Oh yeah. A lot of strawberry. But like dried like leathered strawberries, uh-huh. like your mom's making those homemade, um, like leather fruit. Yes, definitely. There's also some dark fruit notes, like strawberry goes into that uh, red fruit category. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely getting some dark um, fruit as well, like some plumminess. Yeah. 
but still like the the main the main thing on this like to me is just that earthiness like dusty road and you know you're you've been right you're riding down a dirt road with your windows open and all that dust is just flying in as you're going wow that's really tart that's tarter that's tarter than i remember i was about to say all this like lovely fruit like it's almost like fruit when you bite into it, like all the juices are running down your chin. And then I try it. And it's just like this really bright, like makes your cheeks like suck in and kind of pucker a little bit. Yeah. But it still has that back kind of the, those still those back tones of leather and barn and dirt. And once again, I know this might sound nasty when we say these things, but it does not. It doesn't taste bad. And none of it, none of it is because there's actually that stuff in the wine. It's just how it's made. That's a very good point. Um, Some people are like, oh, but I'm allergic to Mm -hmm. insert item here. It's like, no, it's not actually in the wine. But all of these lovely or not so lovely, depending on your opinion, uh, tasty notes that we're talking about gives it a distinction like this great variety. Sangiovese has this uh, expression of flavors and aromas that we're talking about. Yeah, we've talked we've talked a little bit about blind tasting and you know that dirt, the leather or the dust, the leather, the strawberry, the fruit leather. That's kind of one of those things for us when we when we taste that helps us to figure out. And Maggie over here is a level three graduate of the Wine Education Spirit Trust level. So Maggie has done a, an extensive amount of research when it comes to wine, and then. Maggie, is it right with W set? There's a lot of like writing component with it as well. Mm-hmm. They're very um, theory based, which it's all the same information. Yeah. Um, no matter who you study through, mm-hmm. you're studying the same information. This particular program. Yes, they're very um, theory heavy. Like a lot of people who write books about wine or, you know, have wine magazines or those kind of things. Or a lot of them are W set. Is that right? Chances Robbins. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. So what else do you kind of get out of this wine? I've had it in the cooler most of the day because I brought it straight from work. So it's a little cold. But what are you kind of getting off of it? I definitely feel like, like as it opens up more as I'm swirling, that's why you swirl wine in a glass uh, to open it up. Um, I am getting a little bit of oak, some oaky, like some really nice toasty wood. Yeah. I'm kind of getting also like that. No, and especially on the nose, some of that like rich that balsamic-y kind of flavors. Oh my gosh. That's a very good description. So Maggie, when I was doing a lot of research and from listening to other people who talk about Chianti when they blind taste it, they talk about tomato leaf. I have never gotten tomato leaf and I don't know what tomato leaf tastes like. Do you know, do you ever get it? How did you grow up in Arkansas and not know what tomato leaf smells like? As a picky eater. (laughs) I mean, I've, so tomato leaf, I get so much off of Sauvignon Blanc, especially Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Okay. And for me, like that is the epitome of what my grandmother's house smelled like in the summer. Okay. Because they grew tomatoes in the backyard. We would go pick them by the bucket loads Mm. and lay them out on the kitchen island for them to finish ripening. And the entire house smelled like tomato leaves. So kind of try and describe it for like maybe somebody who's, you know, grew up in the city or never been around like fresh tomato plants. What does it kind of like remind you of, or if you could like talk around it? I mean, it smells green. I know that's probably like the most obvious. I'm not the only one that talks in colors, (laughs) but no, it smells like, it smells like a plant. Okay. 
it's very alive and very expressive, like very, um, like it jumps out at you. It's very youthful. And these leaves are very like fuzzy and prickly and rough. And okay. somehow it smells fuzzy. So, so, so that kind of like a, is it like a sweet kind of green sappy? Yeah, it's like a sweet sour smell. Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I've, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there are some plants out there that, you know, you rub up on them and they just see this like weird green or vegetable sweet smell. And so that's kind of what I've always thought tomato leaves smell like, but I was never really sure. So uh, once again, with our snacks today, we kind of have an Italian smorgasbord over here. Um, we've got some Parmigiano Reggiano. We've got prosciutto di Parma. We've got a pizza. We've got some, got some gnocchi and tomato sauce and some Pecorino Romano. So we're going to kind of get into this and just start chit-chatting now. So one of the reasons, you know, I kind of did some of the stuff we did was, you know, Chianti is in the kind of in the middle outside of Italy. So we know Italy's a boot. If you don't know Italy's a boot, Italy looks like a boot. Um, and I kind of think the Chianti region is kind of, it's in Tuscany. So it's kind of in the middle almost between the calf and the shin about partway up the boot to me is kind of a way to describe it. If you ever heard of Florence, it is Chianti is right outside of Florence and all these kind of foods and stuff we have are a lot from the middle region, except the balsamic, but that's just used all over Italy. When I was in Italy as a college kid, one of the first things we did is when we were walking through the market, our, um, host who, you know, he'd been there for, I think 20, 20 years by that point, walked us to the market and we all got to go to a stand. And the first thing we had was Parmigiano Reggiano and balsamic vinegar, Oh my god! like poured right onto it. And a strawberry at the end of just this little skewer as you go through. And it was just, okay, I have to, all these things are in front of me. So I feel like I really need to try them. Oh yeah. So it's just one of those bites. That's just like, so Parmigiano Reggiano is really salty. It's got great umami. You know, the strawberries are bright and sweet and delicious. And then balsamic has is this sweet, acidy bite to it. And it made one of those things that like for me as a budding food person, even though I was a picky eater, I still <laughs> love food and love cooking and all that. It just created this sensational bite of like. If you could taste, if you could taste the entire, the entire rainbow of taste in once, it's what it tastes like. And if you, if you could see Maggie's over here, just like in euphoria, just be, she just had the bite this of the, so she just had a bite of the, the Parmesan and the balsamic together. And it's just, it's magical. And so I'm going to, I'm going to let her have a moment over there with that. So, cause it was like, it's one of those things that just like, it covers your palate and just, it like waken awakens you to what taste is possible. It's like uh, there are like moment. little fireworks going off in yeah. your head <laughs> as I'm walking through the market in Florence. Yeah, I was. So was this the moment that inspired you to get into food and wine, or does that come later in the story? It was the beginning. Okay. I think it was the beginning of that kind of understanding of you know food can give you a sense of time and place and just the larger world that there was out there. Wine didn't come until a little bit later. Same trip? Yes. Okay. Um, it came, it came in the same trip a little bit later. It was more in Northern Italy, but it kind of just laid the foundation for 
oh my gosh, this is going to be a fantastic experience. So how did, how did it pair with the wine? First of all, anything salty makes wine taste better. So all of those little salt crystals and the cheese just made the wine explode in my mouth. Um, no, so there's, I love to talk about food and wine pairings. There's different ways. If you want to get like technical about it, there is no right or wrong drink and eat what you like. Um, but if you want to have some fun, there's different ways you can go about it. You can, um, do a comparative tasting. So pairing together with food and wine or contrasting. And this was very much comparing. So light with light, like you were saying, you could almost smell like this reduced balsamic in the wine. And so actually eating the balsamic and having the the wine Mm -hmm. with it really just bridged those two flavors together and just made it um, even more so. And then got these really delicious ripe strawberries and we're sitting here talking about all of the uh, fruit and the wine, you know, the red fruit, the dark fruit. And so this actually eating a strawberry with this wine made those red fruit profiles just stand out. Yes. So like this wine on on its own was already really tasty. Yeah. But as far as like, if you were to do a scale of one to 10, like how it was expressing itself is like a solid five. Uh And then with these added flavors, it just like amped it up to a 10. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who kind of poo poo on Italian wine because they're like, oh, it's not that great. It's not that elegant. It's it. You have to spend $150 or you can only buy Barolo because it's, you know, <laughs> certain it's, you know, got certain things. The thing that I've learned is Italians eat and drink. So Italian wine is made to be with food. Yes, you can drink it on its own, but it's going to be its most expressive when it is added with food, when you have food with it. Because most places in Europe, as we know, will spend, you know, three or four hours having dinner. I don't know if you're experiencing this kind of was similar because I know you've been to France, but kind of when I went to France and like I've done some, you know, had long dinners, it's kind of relaxed. It's still, but it still kind of feels a little formal. Eating three or four hours in Italy is just like, you're at home throwing stuff around. You never, it's going to be loud. You're going to have that person that's going to be yelling across the table at people. It kind of has that, just has that feel of, it's just very open and jovial. I see that just in the expression of the way the food and the wine comes together. Have you been so to Italy eloquent. Yet? I have not been to Italy yet. Okay. So what about your experiences when France, when you went out to eat and kind of the food and wine culture that way? I definitely feel like I didn't have anything that jovial. Okay. Yeah. Um, definitely long meals, almost all of the places, even like the more casual places and even during lunch, which is more casual than dinner. Yeah. Everywhere I went had coursed meals. Yeah. Even if you didn't like participate in that, you know, you just wanted something a la carte. Uh huh. Um, yeah, there was even in the most casual of places, I still feel like there was a little bit of pomp and circumstance and clearing the plates, clearing the silverware between each course. Yeah. And, and like, I just don't see, and you know, it may have been done, you know, may more in the country style, you know, but you know, in Italy, big plates of food. You know, put out family style, style, just kind of you get in there, you eat and it's while Italian food can be super refined and it it is a fantastic food. It just on the normal doesn't feel as refined, kind of like you were talking about lunch. If you take a lunch there and a lunch, you know, in France, it's kind of you have a different feel. It almost feels a little bit more formal. Not that it's bad. No, it's just different. It's just a different, totally different experience. Let's talk about this wine a little bit. So this is the Nipizano Reserva. Uh, This is from 2013. Um, So it's got a good bit of age on it. I keep 
forgetting it's 2020 now. Um, so seven years, almost. It's okay, we're all trying to forget about it. <laughs> yeah, but almost seven, but almost seven years of age on it. This is from a subregion of Chianti called Rufina. We know in Italy, kind of like we've talked about in France before. You know the the different regions. Chianti is kind of like the big umbrella term, and then this is a specific region in Chianti called Rufina. It is um, a little bit northeast. Outside of Florence, um, not too far, but just a little bit outside of Chianti. Uh, like Maggie mentioned earlier, um, this is a blend, but it is a majority of Sangiovese, which is a grape that is very, very common in Italy. Um, it actually was pretty common in the U.S. before Prohibition, um, but due to Prohibition, a lot of the Sangiovese grapes either died from lack of use or were ripped out. Um, it also has some Malvasia Nera, Corleano, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. It spends about 20, uh, 24 months of maturation and it doesn't exactly say how much of that is in wood, but Maggie, I think you'd agree that there's definitely oak in this just based on how it tastes. Absolutely. Sits on the, it sits on the skins for about 25 days, which I was kind of surprised that they actually said how long it sits on the grapes or sits on the skins after it's pressed. I mean, I usually don't see that in the in the tech sheets I look. You know, it's, it's a reserva, so we know that it's going to spend at least, I think, a year in barrel just based on its location and how good it is. It's very, very yummy. I think I think I paid thirty dollars for this, so it's probably somewhere between thirty or twenty-five and thirty-five in your lo- local store. But um, super, I think it's super good. So if you know you want to get geeky with it, if anyone was curious, um, Reserva minimum must be aged at least twenty-four months at the winery because this is from a specific place. Uh, Rufina, there's additional requirements on top of the Reserva. So it must be aged for a further three months. Um, in addition to the 24 minimum, it, of course, you can age longer. It's up to the yeah. the winery, uh, but it is not to be released until the 1st of June. You know, I've noticed Italy has a lot of those. It can't be released until this date. I would be curious to know what happened previously to create those because, you know, rules and regulations are all because something happened. Maggie, did you did your parents ever drink Chianti? Did you ever do you ever remember seeing like a straw <laughs> bottle or your grandparents having the straw bottle of, <laughs> of wine? No, I did not grow up with any wine. My okay. parents love frozen strawberry daiquiris oh, made okay. from the uh, what do you call those frozen oh, from the Minute Maid con- concentrate the, cans. The Minute Maid yeah. concentrate cans. It was that and rum. And ice, press go in the blender. Hey man, cocktail hour is delicious no matter where you're at. Snyder House special. That's awesome. But I know when I was doing some research about Chianti, it was one of those names that wasn't protected for a long time. So they actually had, um, like people in the U.S. were using Chianti. Like they were using Chablis and Champagne. You know, it got Chianti a really bad rap for a long, long while. And, you know, part of it was rightly so because even in Italy, they weren't, regulating what could go in, how long it could be. So it wasn't giving the best expression of the wine. I think part of it is just because Italy is very regional. And so I think the Italians were like, well, I know which ones I'm going to buy, which ones are doing the good stuff. So okay. right, who you cares know what else? Yeah. What they're doing down the street. Yeah. And so I think it was back in the seventies, um, Italy kind of had a, kind of had a big, a big to do about Chianti and where they started to get really regulatory about it. They came up with some of these other regions, you know, we have Classico, um, Rufina started to have those designations where the different regions kind of broke out to kind of have those different laws to kind of start protecting it because, you know, these are what 
you know, people make their livelihood on. It's true. So what about some of the other pairings? Have you had anything else with it yet? I tried your gnocchi mm-hmm. that you have tossed and I read tomato sauce. So again, pairing like with like. Tomatoes are very high in acidity. You know, no matter if you eat them on their own or you're eating them in a sauce or with a dish, pairing the tomato sauce, this bright acidic sauce with this bright acidic wine is really plain. It almost makes the wine seem lighter. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the richness from like the basal- the balsamic and the cheese, you know, that was almost made it richer. And mm-hmm. this is really brightening it up. It's kind of like it highlights, like you're saying, it like highlights the, the acidity of the wine and kind of pulls back some of that earthiness in Italy. You know, especially in Tuscany, you know, we have red sauce, you know, a lot of red sauces was kind of the idea with that pairing. And then the frusciuto too is really good with it because it kind of gives that kind of meaty earthiness as well as some of that salinity that we've talked about that really kind of picks up this wine. Okay. So you had this amazing food experience at the farmer's market. You're mm-hmm. in Italy yep. for a school trip. When does the wine come in and when do you have your aha moment? So the wine came in after my 21st birthday. So I turned 21 in Italy and I really didn't drink before I turned 21. Um, my sister came over. It was during one of my free travel times. Uh, we went, where all did we go? We went up to Venice. We did Milan and Venice, I think. And then she came back down to Florence with me and we spent about a week together. It was right around my birthday. We were in, we were in Venice and we went out to dinner and my aunt and uncle um, had given given my sister a little bit of extra money and said, OK, it's his 21st birthday. You can buy him a nice bottle of wine. And we went out and we ate. And, you know, I can't I don't even remember the food. I just I, I remember it was a tomato base. Excuse me. I remember there was Parmesan and we had a bottle of um, Chianti with it and it was a higher end Chianti. It was just that thing that just. It was the two things lifting each other. And it was that moment where I had so much good food. I'd been there for about two and a half months. I'd had wine with my food maybe one other time um, because the school I was going to the time, you can get in a lot of trouble if you get caught drinking. So even though you're in a country where yep. the age, okay. The only, the only way you could get around it was like if you were at a restaurant and they served you like sometimes at the end of the meal, they'll give you like, here's a house, a little amaretto or whatever. Sure. You can get around it by that because, you know, that you don't want to be rude. Um, but if you like ordered it yourself and, you know, got wasted and came back, you could get, <laughs> get sent home. So I hadn't really had much beforehand. But I just remember it was like the curtains were drawn back on this big secret that everybody else knew about and that I was just getting to see. I was like, I want to know more. I want to know everything now. And I think this was kind of where my journey into wine really, really picked up because my journey into food started when I was in middle school with, you know, TV chefs, Emeril Lagasse and all that. And, you know, started cooking in the kitchen. I did a paper in Emeril Lagasse in sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so influential. I mean, especially for us, you know, time really before internet was as massive as it is. Food Network was you know, maybe five years old at the time. And then this big boisterous personality came on in prime time after dinner. It was like, it was just like you were in there with him. Like, even if you were in the TV, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm right there with you. Oh, bam. (laughs) I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to do all the things you do. And um, it kind of got me more curious about food. And, you know, I thought about going to culinary school for a little bit to get a pastry degree because I loved baking and doing all that. Being in love with the Italian culture and traveling like I did as a kid, it was just, it was that moment where these two worlds collided and felt like, 
well, duh, why didn't you know this? And I was like, I feel so dumb, but I want to know it. It's amazing. And so I had, I had two more experiences with wine while I was there. One was I went out for my birthday with a group of people who I had met there. A couple of us ordered wine and it was that jovial coming together experience of, of just being together and people together yeah, and celebrating. The other one was just another kind of like this, this stuff goes together so well. So it was, it was super exciting and like kind of came back really energized to kind of start learning more, but I had to figure out a way to do it in the environment in which I was in. Cause I still had another year and a half at that point in school. So when you got back to Arkansas, you're like, wait, what? There's not uh, delicious and expensive wine at my disposal. Uh, what do I do with my hands right now? So, yeah. And so, you know, and I grew up loving lady in the tramp. Like it was the, it was the movie that, you know, on VHS, I actually wore the tape out. <laughs> I watched it so many. I'm learning so much about <laughs> so you many. as a friend right now. <laughs> and I wore that. I wore that out so many times as a kid. But you know, you have the scene where they're at the Italian restaurant and they're the straw bottles on the table <laughs> that they turned into candles. And so it was one of the things that I first bought when I came back <laughs> was were Chianti's and the straw and the straw bottle Chianti. And for a long, long time. Did you time, buy a dog and name her lady? I did not uh, buy any dog. So I did not buy a dog. <laughs> Maybe that'll come in the future. <laughs> um, but I did on my, on my porch when I lived in Argenta, I had a big porch where I had a a table and to eat outside. I had four or five of those Chianti bottles that I would put candles in so the wax could drip down. And it looked really cool. But it was one of those things. It was like, it was that anchor point for me that getting it really getting into wine. It just like I hung my hat there and then I started drinking around it and I went away from Italy for a long while. From the wines? You yeah. From okay. the, from the, not from the food. I mean, the food is just phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I went away from the wine for a while because it was one of those things that like, a lot of people around me like, why are you drinking Italian wine? It's not that great. I mean, they don't even know what they're doing there. Have you tried this wonderful French wine? Do you wine? need me to beat somebody up? <laughs> no, then nobody <laughs> needs to be beat up because it, everyone has their own journey. And so I finally circled back to, I circled back to Chianti about a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is some of the, I for, I remember why I love this wine. Wow. And especially when I put it with food. So my next question was, how do you pay homage to that moment? I think I just. Because how many years ago was that? Almost 15. I think I kind of, I keep going because of how I focus on the food and wine. You know, you've been over to my house a lot and we've done food together before. And I'm always like, I I think very intentional about the wine that I put in front of it and what is going to be good. What's going to fit. Also knowing what people are drinking with. Because I know, you know, there are people who don't really enjoy white wine or red wine or sparkling wine for whatever reason. But I always put sparkling wine in front of them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, I support this passive aggressiveness. So that's kind of one of the things I always do is just I'd be I'd be very I'm very intentional when I'm asked to bring wine or I put wine in front of my friends just to kind of be like, these go great together. You should try it. Just because that moment for you was intentional. And mm-hmm. is it, do you feel like it's because of your teaching background? You want to pass this along to someone else? I don't know if it's my teaching background or if it's just, I want to open, I want to ex- open, love. I want to open that curtain for as many people as I can. Um, when I was in Montana and even when I was working at the, at the bar here in Little Rock, one of my favorite things to do was when somebody said, Hey, this is what I'm eating today. I want you to pair wines with this dinner. I had a guy basically say, here's my dollar amount for the wine. This is what we're thinking of having and go. And I was able to throw 
a Gehertzmeter in front of him for his appetizer. And he's like, what is this? And I was, and you know, like, <laughs> you know how much that, that excites me because Gehertzmeter is one of my favorite grapes, but getting, being able to do that and just expose people to the amazingness of pairings, but as well as expose people to wine that they're not going to pick themselves. Like that's one of the things that I really, really love and kind of how I keep it, how I keep it going and I pass it forward. I love that. It's like you're introducing someone to a friend of yours. Mm -hmm. It really is. Because who wouldn't want to know this? <sighs> That's my thing about it. I always love listening to others talk about their wine journey because everyone has a different story and mm -hmm. it's so fascinating. Yeah. We're all like on this even playing field now, mm -hmm. you know, years later. But what got you? Because, I mean, you can live your entire life from start to finish without geeking out on food and wine. Yeah. And you know, that was one of the reasons I want to really wanted to do this podcast with my dad was because it gets to expose as many people as I can, or as many people that choose to listen to it, but also get to expose to my dad because that was one of the things, you know, I like, I started bringing wine to my parents in there and then in some of my other friends, it's like, Josh, we hate you. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, we can't drink that stuff anymore. You just kind of showed us this great world of wine. Like, you know, throwing in, I know you knew my mom when you were working in the liquor store is kind of when you first met her and she'd even be like, Maggie, tell me about this one. I can only buy it now. You're like a wine drug dealer. You're introducing people to the good stuff. Exactly. You got them yeah. Keep them coming back. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it goes. And that's why... You know, if you don't have anybody, go find somebody or reach out to us. I mean, we, I know I know we'd be happy to do it as well. Oh, yeah. I could sit and talk about this for hours. <laughs> so how's the wine change? Has the wine changed anything to you as it's kind of opened up and really warmed up? I feel like it's gotten more floral. So this, as you said, it, it has some age on it. Mm -hmm. And wine's amazing. Um, wines change as they age. They're they're alive. They're it's very much an alive thing. Yeah. And um, so as it gets older, just like us, it mm -hmm. changes. It becomes more mature. Kind of out of this maturity, you know, all of you know, fresh fruits turn into dried fruits. You mm -hmm. know, fresh herbs turn into dried herbs, and um, flowers. You know, these really bright, pretty flowers can turn into almost like. Per a potpourri, you know, these um, really delicate. And to me, this smells like some dried floral notes. Yeah, it's like there's some violets starting to come out now that I didn't, that I didn't notice earlier. And it's it's like it's dried. It's not like it's desiccated or it's super fresh. And it doesn't smell like, you know, grandma's potpourri. It just has that kind of nice uh, florality to it now. I love how it's just continuing to change in the glass, too. Yeah. And I'm sure even after we switch over to the Sauterne and we come back to it, it's going to that's going to change even more. One last question, just out of curiosity. Yeah. So you had this amazing 21st birthday. Uh -huh. Super jealous. Um, you're there <laughs> with your sister in Florence, right? We were in Venice for Venice. my birthday. Venice, having this amazing meal. Yeah. You had this aha moment with wine. Mm -hmm. Does your sister remember it as like monumental as you? I don't think she does. I don't. I don't super express a lot of that at the time. I might have. I don't even remember how much I talked about it afterwards. Um, well, like her, I didn't know, like if to this day, whenever y'all catch up, if she's like, yeah. Josh, do you remember? I did mention to her prior to us recording this, that I was, that I tried to get that. And she was like, oh yeah, that was such a good one. <gasps> so she does remember. So she remember, she at least remembers the wine. I don't know if she like, 
I don't know if her and I ever really talked about how like monumental in my experience. And that is okay. we, you know, why I mean, she'll find out when she listens. I was about to say, do you think she'll like have thoughts? Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure she was. She'll probably, you know, talk about how, you know, I was probably really super weird about it. Just cause, <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's just kind of part of my personality, but I was there in the fall when we came back um, I was home for Christmas and she was home for Christmas and she actually got me a full bottle of that wine. She was able to find one here and she was able to. And so I got that for um, for Christmas that year. It was either that year or the next year. But I remember I remember vividly that she bought me a bottle of that wine. I drank it many, many years ago, <laughs> but it was it was a great one. And this is another one I've had where I kind of had um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know it was a special dinner where I cooked. Um, I cooked some Italian food and had this wine, maybe not this exact vintage, but I had this wine with it as well. That's so cool. That's so cool that you had someone to share that moment with. There was one other thing I thought about. Oh, that was another thing about this trip. We got to pick grapes in Chianti. Okay, now I'm officially jealous. When I was there. And the funny thing, so like looking back on it for the first couple times, because I tasted a little bit of wine before, you know, when you're picking grapes, you eat some of them every once in a while. And I remember vividly having the thought in my head that... Oh, this tastes like that Chianti straw bottle wine that I've had before. <laughs> and little did I know I was picking in Chianti. I was picking in Chianti. And I mean, it could have been in Chianti Rafina. I don't even I don't even know. And I don't know how to I remember we picked for a half a day and we, you know, had lunch in the vineyard with um the vineyard on or the the owner. So it was just it was one of those experiences. And I have a picture somewhere of little skinny Josh in in the vines. Um, picking grapes in Chianti. It was, I don't know, like I said, that, that trip, there was so much about that trip that was magical that that was another part of it. Wow. Are you ready? Switch over. I'm ready. I feel like I just learned so much about you. We've known each other for several years now. It's so cool. So Maggie, what are we drinking next? We are drinking a Sauternes. Sauternes. Just like in Italy, this wine that we've been sitting here talking about um, France and Italy both love to name their wines after a region. So you're buying this bottle, uh, whether it's the Sauternes or this Chianti, it is from this region, but it's up to you to figure out what the grapes are or just to know the grapes from this place, right? This bottle, the grapes are not Sauternes. So tell us a little bit about the wine itself, Um, because a lot of people may have never had a Sauternes before. Um, so kind of what grapes are in it and, um, what's special about Sauternes? Give us a short I, version. I will try my best to shorten this. Um, so the grapes that grow in this region, and it is up to the winemaker if they want to do a blend or just hundred percent single varietal. Um, so Simeon, Sauvignon Blanc and, um, Muscadel okay. or Muscat. It's yeah. in the Muscat family. Okay. Um, so these three grapes grow in this region. And this particular uh, producer chose to make this out of 100% Simeon, um, if anyone's following along or trying the wine. Um, So that's the grape variety. The style of wine, which is the most important, um, is it is a dessert wine. Okay. Um, which means it is sweet. Fun fact, you can have high quality sweet wines. Yes. For all you people <laughs> who poo-poo on sweet wines, and we haven't had a Riesling episode yet. But for all those of you that poo-poo on sweet wines, this one, you need to get a Sauternes in your glass. Uh, this one's made 100% of Simeon. It's from France. So kind of where in France or what? what's kind of an anchor point for people who may be kind of following along or 
um, may have a mental map in their head or some wide knowledge. Where 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 is Saltern in France? Yeah, so it is in the larger region of Bordeaux. That may ring a bell for some listeners. Yes, Bordeaux. Okay, yes, I've heard of that. I am sure your mind immediately jumps to red because that is what Bordeaux is known for. Mm -hmm. This area, uh, Bordeaux, is next to the Atlantic Ocean. So it is on the coast and there is two rivers, Mm -hmm. uh, the Gironde and the Dordogne, that come together and form an estuary that empty out into the ocean. So you have lots of influence from moving currents and seaside winds and very much influences the style of wine uh, that it is so moist and humid environment. So what about that environment kind of leads to Salterns? Because we know like up near kind of up closer to the Atlantic Oceans, there's going to be more breeze. So a lot of that kind of moisture is going to blow kind of either downriver or out into other parts. Um, and Saltern Saltern's near the bottom kind of near the bottom of the region, kind of far away from that. So some of that moisture still hangs around. So what is it about that region that makes this so special? Yeah, so all of this lingering moisture in the air on these white grapes um, creates, please don't cringe, creates mold. (gasps) A mold? (laughs) What? On the grapes, we are drinking a moldy wine. Well, moldy? What? What are you talking about? What do you mean a moldy grape? Why is that? How does that make good wine? <laughs> the, the mold is just one avenue to extract water from the grapes. So it basically is a method to raisin grapes. The stars and planets have to align right. for this mold to properly set in and stay for a while and to create this raisiny effect. Mm-hmm. In some years when this doesn't take place, um, producers will make... Um, a dry white wine okay, and it be more of like a table wine and yeah. they sell it for much less uh, because at the end of the day, they're farmers right. and they got to produce a co- exactly. crop and they've got to make money. Yeah. And so the, the mold that Maggie's talking about is called botrytis or botrytis cinerea. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So what also is known as noble rot. Yes. If you don't want to. There, it is noble rot, and we'll kind of get to the nobleness about it in a little bit. But what it does is it kind of it attacks the outside of the grapes, and it kind of penetrates just a little bit and starts to suck out all the water. And their grapes are made of, you know, the skins, the pulp on the inside, and the pulp on the inside is most is just basically sugar and water. Mm-hmm. So the more water that gets pulled out, the more sugar that stays in. And it doesn't actually pull a lot of the sugar out. It just pulls the water out to kind of feed itself. It's kind of like um, ice wine. You know, they stay in, they stay so long, that water, the plant just starts sucking the water back into itself because it's about to go really dormant. And then the all that's left is kind of the sugar. And then... Right. Well, so with um, ice wine, um, so these grapes are frozen, hence mm-hmm. the name. Uh, so in this grape, the sugar and the water, the... Um, water freezes at a um, higher temperature than the sugar. Um, so the water freezes first before the sugar contents. Mm-hmm. And um, when you pick the grapes at the exact right time, you can separate the frozen water from the sugar and create a concentrated sweet wine mm-hmm. by removing the frozen water. Yeah. So this, the rot is doing all the work for us. We don't have to separate it. Yeah. So cool. You want to ready to get into it? Taste a little bit. 
Sure. Let's give it a smell. So um, we are tasting this out of the Riedel port glass since it is a sweet wine and kind of wanted to have a more narrow glass that helps kind of concentrate the smells a little bit. Oh my gosh, it smells like peaches. It smells like white peaches. It smells like peaches that my grandmother canned and yeah. like honey. Yeah. There's definitely a honey aspect, like, but it's almost like a honeycomb or like a waxy. It's kind of, it smells, it smells kind of waxy. I would almost like, almost like floor wax, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Just kind of that, um, high, that high tone to it. And there's a florality to it. There's a, like a white flower. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God, I didn't want to spit that out, but I had to. Mm. Ooh. It's still got good acid on it, though. Like a lot of white, a lot of sweet wines, they kind of fall flat because they don't have that acid to kind of make your mouth water again and just kind of pull back to it. But this has got some, I mean, to me, it's got some acidity on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, without the acid, this wouldn't like there's so much sugar in this. Mm -hmm. And just for those of you listening at home, um, Sauternes is uh, sold in a much smaller bottle because you only drink a you drink a smaller amount. Uh, This is more of like an end of meal, just sipping wine. Everybody just gets a couple of ounces. Um, But because there's so much um, sugar, yeah, you have to have something to balance it out, which is the acidity. And um, so a lot of times when you think about aging wines or longevity of wines, you immediately think of reds, right? Like cellaring reds. Um, The beautiful thing about some white wines, if especially wines that have sugar and acid in it, that actually creates the perfect environment for aging. So, I mean, you can have a very old Sauternes and it still be. Yeah. And so Sauternes are, you know, they're usually really expensive and there is one Sauternes in particular that is known the worldwide as probably one of the most expensive wines in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's called, I think it's, I always call it Chateau de Kim. And I don't know if that's the proper way to pronounce it. Yeah. So Chateau, Chateau de Kim. Yeah. It's kind of where the nobleness of the Botrytis came from. Is that right? A really cool thing about that is Chateau Yukem is a first growth Bordeaux, mm-hmm. um, which again, you think red when you hear first growth Bordeaux. Yeah. It put Bordeaux on the map. Yeah. Um, so it shipped a lot easier because mm-hmm. of the longevity. Yeah. Um, so it became more renowned before the Reds came into play. So it put the region on the map. I feel like it needs to be celebrated. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I have actually never had the opportunity to have a Chateau Yukem, but I've heard it's it's another one of those kind of life changing wines. If you're ever able to try it or buy it, please do. If you would like to share with your friends on a podcast, feel free to send it. Figure out a way to send it to us, and we'll we'll try it, or we'll come we'll come visit, and we'll try it with you. But you know, these wines are like Maggie said. One of the reasons they get to be so expensive is because they're not made every year. You know, if they don't get the Botrytis or get enough of it, they will throw it away. I mean, even when they're going through the vineyards to check, they'll just throw it on the ground. Yeah, they'll cut it off, throw it on the ground, or they'll even take particular grapes off and throw them on the ground if they're not getting the And you have to also think, so this is a smaller region, um, but, you know, you have healthy white grapes and Mm -hmm. that produces X amount of wine. Well, 
grapes that are shriveled or reduced with, you know, whether it's ice or um, this noble rot, um, your production plummets. Yeah, plummets. So you have a much uh, smaller. You have smaller yield coming off. Yes, the much smaller. Yield. I think we're going to go ahead and get into the tastings because so we've got once again with, with this one, we've got a duck and pork pate with some orange. And then I think that's going to be um, Maggie just took a bite. So I'll let her finish. But this is kind of a contrasting pairing because we have something that's really, really sweet with something that's really high in fat. And we've kind of talked about that before we talked about the rosé, how that kind of fat and sweet can kind of start to balance each other out. Mm-hmm. So that's my personal favorite pairing. If you're if you're asking me, hey, Maggie, I'm having insert item here for dinner. What should I pair with it? I will more than likely recommend a pairing that is contrasting. OK, what? Because opposites attract. Oh, OK, OK, OK. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all about how you want to go about it. Um, like if you're having something really earthy, like a really earthy mushroom, you can create more earthiness in the dish and get an earthy wine. So you have an earthy wine and an earthy food, or you can get something that's really jammy and almost sweet and it cancels each other out. So in this particular instance, you're eating something super fatty, super savory with something super sweet. Yeah. That, um, it's like it pulled to me like it pulled down it pulled and I literally pulled down the sweetness like covered the sweetness a little bit, but that bit of orange that's in the pate just like jumped out in the wine, and just hit a whole new citrus note that I didn't that I didn't taste before in the wine, and I don't know if it was just because the orange in it going with the citrus in there or if it was that fattiness that was covering and just allowed that citrus to come through the wine a little more. And the wine feels a lot lighter on your palate too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have it alone and it's almost like this syrupy borderline cloying mouth coating wine. And then you have it with this really savory food. It all of a sudden just becomes so much lighter. Yeah. And that was the thing. So one of the trips I made to France with uh, the bar I was working at, we were lucky enough to go to in Premier and when we were there, which I'm super jealous about, by the way, <laughs> we'll go into too much detail, but we at the UGC tastings or the one of the first ones I did was Saltern and there were 30 different Salterns and they were they were young. So they were still super bright and super sweet. And I kept thinking like and peop, some of the people didn't even make it all the way through, but I love, I have a huge sweet tooth. So I, I was like, I'm getting through all of these because it's going to be delicious. But it was amazing. Even just there having that one thing, like I was thinking, God, I just want, I just want something to cover my palate a little bit. Like, you know, the palate cleanser giving that fat would just kind of cover it. And then how much they could differ just between between producer. Like there was some that just tasted like, like honeycomb. And there was one that tasted like pineapple. Like that was the thing I remember about it was like, Oh my gosh, this tastes like pineapple syrup. And it was, it was fascinating to me. So there's a lot of range within these sweet wines as well. It's not just these one thing. Yeah. Um, as winemakers, you know, you can play around with the blend, you know, like mm-hmm. this producer did hundred percent Semillon. You could do, you know, more Sauvignon Blanc if you wanted to. Um, and then, you know, how much botrytis got into your crop that year affects it. Um, how long you chose to, um, lay it down before bottling. Um, yeah, like it, at the end of the day, it's, 
it's an art for making wine and to be able to taste what somebody's hands did to this product is Mm -hmm. really freaking cool. So tell me about your story with this. How, what's the experience that this was that really got you into wine? Yeah. Um, so I was already kind of studying wine for a job, like, so just out of necessity. Um, I was working in Hawaii for, uh, on a private estate, husband and wife owners of this estate always had family coming in because who the heck wouldn't want to visit family in Hawaii. (laughs) And so I was serving these lovely guests and, you know, different people would come in different times of years or during the different seasons of the year. Um, and, um, after a couple of years and the family got to know me and kind of trust me, which I don't know why they did. (laughs) Because you're a very trustworthy person. Come on. (laughs) I would start getting questions of, well, what, what wine is going to pair with my dinner tonight? I was 23. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, The one that we pour you. (laughs) Right. Because yeah, they each had like the wine that I would stock for them in the cellar whenever they would visit. And Uh like, that's what I would pour for them. Um, I didn't have to think anything of it. And, um, so I was like, all right. So I remember the first time I, I was asked that I was like, all right, Maggie, think on your feet, act quick. Um, so I was like, well, you know, we're having fish tonight, so let's go with a white wine. And it worked. <laughs> it worked. Um, so yeah, that's what, that was my first, uh, all right. White wine goes with fish and meat goes with red wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, all right, you need to expand your horizons. <laughs> So, um, I was a housekeeper on the weekends. I was by myself. It was, it was great. I just like zoned out, um, sweeping these long marble hallways. And I started listening to podcasts about wine as I was cleaning to try and just implant wine knowledge in my brain. So when I went shopping that week, um, I could be like, all right, I know they're having salmon this night. I heard this wine goes well with salmon on the podcast I listened to. <laughs> and I have a couple of talking points. So, okay, great. So I had that, but that was, again, just out of like necessity for the job. Yeah. You hadn't had that moment that was like, I'm going to figure this out because right. I really, really want to. It's like, I have to get this. I got to get this mm-hmm. done. Yeah. It wasn't, it was not important uh, to me other than that fact. Of course, the job was important, but uh-huh. outside of the job. Um, so then the chef, uh, one of the chefs that I worked for at the estate, he hosted a wine and food dinner and was kind enough to invite me. Mm-hmm. So his friend that he had known for many years uh-huh. um, was she owned a flower shop on the Big Island and she was gifted from one of her uh, customers because, you know, they were so happy with all these beautiful flowers and creations that she made for them. This customer, again, like, I don't know what life this is, <laughs> but gifted her an entire lobe of foie gras as a thing, in addition to the payment. But just as a thank you, just an entire, just a big old low, like big, the big, so foie gras is the liver of, of a duck or of a goose. Um, so it's to get, to give her the whole liver. Like it's just a big old Yeah, well, piece. it was, it was processed. So okay, it was probably yeah. several livers. I mean, wow. it almost, I don't like when I have a negative connotation, but it almost looked like a Jimmy Dean sausage. Yeah. Package. Just, okay. So yeah, just a roll, like a big roll of it. Yes. Oh, wow. That's and, a great gift. Right. <laughs> and she, you know, she was very thankful, but also she was like, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do wouldn't I know what to do with cook that. it? Do I eat it? Do yeah. I like put it in the yeah? So she gave it to uh, the chef that I worked for at this um, estate, and so I was invited to this um, foie gras dinner. He had like eight guests around his table and um him and one other chef kind of collaborated and did a five course again like you eat foie gras in small quantities so he had an entire lobe so they made a whole five course dinner wow like appetizer main course even in they did foie gras ice cream for dessert no yes I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Uh, okay. I'm okay. really I was, so I will say I didn't know what foie gras was before this dinner, and I'm really glad I didn't. You just knew it was this fancy thing that yeah, tastes good. Like, oh my gosh, like this is it's so regal. Like yeah, I know I, this is big, this is a big this deal. Is a big foie deal gras. that I'm at this table. I'm just gonna eat these things. So I didn't have that like preconceived notion of ill liver, which again, really good. It's different than calf liver, people. Oh, oh. It's completely different. It is different. completely different. So I'm at this dinner and um not the ice cream. Um, so not the last course, but the next to last course, um, it was some kind of like French toast mm-hmm. with, um, like Chinese five spice. Okay. Um, so kind of like sweet and spicy and then just a small sliver of the lobe that was just pan seared. So lightly seared or seared on the outside, but still like, I mean, y- you cut into it like butter. Yeah. So it's almost like creamy on top of this piece of bread. Right. Like it's spreadable. Okay. And again, I was just a guest. I was just there. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what any of this fancy food or wine was. And I cannot tell you what any of the other bottles were served that night. Oh, wow. But with this course, so somebody came out of the kitchen and was like, all right, so for this course, you know, um, we have foie gras in this preparation. And for the wine, we're going super traditional. Like we're going very French. Yeah. Um, and we're going to pour a sauternes with this. So, you know, pretty sure had the same glasses. Right. A little small glass. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, in front of everyone at the table. And then he went around. And so this small bottle right here uh, filled eight people's glasses. So. Again, yeah, a little goes a so long way. We have, so this is it's a half bottle, so which is about thirteen, uh, about thirteen and a half ounces. So amongst eight people, that's not that's maybe an ounce and a half, mm-hmm. two ounces. Well, that's not even two ounces each. But I was just there trying to like take all of these flavors in the uh-huh. food and the wine of each course, and so I took like a little sip because they were like, "This is really sweet and really like intense. There's a lot of flavor in this. So just take a sip." Yeah. So I just remember taking a sip of the wine, and then like I took a bite of the food, and I mean it's just like the world moved. Yeah. Like. I just remember like tearing up a little bit mm-hmm. like it, it It was so beautiful. Mm. All of these things yeah. going on in my mouth, which I know sounds so silly, but it's, I mean, not, it's, it's not silly. Like you said, the curtains were pulled back and it was just like the angels saying. <laughs> and I mean, I was just like. The wine makes the food taste better and the food makes the wine taste better. Like, how how is this possible? How is right. this happening? And it's almost like a high. Yeah. Like a runner's high. It really is. Like, it's just it's it's so hard to describe because it is 
you feel like like you're on top of the world. I just want to keep chasing that. Yeah. I, w- I want to keep finding that high. It's like marathoners. I still don't get it. I've never done it, but yes. I still don't get it. Marathoners <laughs> are like, I want, I, I do it because I love how I feel when I do it. And I'm like, I get it. Mine's just drinking. Mine's just drinking. Like I, I totally understand that. And it's just to have a pairing in sucks in such a juxtaposition pairing. Like it, it makes me understand why you love those contrasting pairings because yeah, maybe that's why one of your first, first your first one ever. And I mean, people will always do like, like pairings, but the ones that contrast are like, Oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. So, so you, you've had this wonderful dinner, you had this experience and then kind of, where did you go from there in your wine journey? Like, you know, after you came off that (laughs) <laughs> that, eufo- that euphoria and one more course that, in- that had foie gras And came off the hangover the <laughs> next day. <laughs> but yeah, so kind of where did you go from there and kind of how did your journey continue after that? Ooh, okay, so after, so I had already been looking into wine for my job. Mm-hmm. And then I had this dinner. Then I was like, all right, I'm going to take like this studying, for lack of a better term, more seriously. Like there's actually like... I kind of thought it was just something for the highfalutin people in society. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, fancy people. Like, they care about pairings. Like, they have money. And um, I was like, nope, there's something to this. Like, it's real. It is not made up. And so I just, I took it more seriously. And um, this podcast that I was listening to, but it was two ladies which was awesome because there needs to be more ladies in wine. Um, It's called the crush podcast and they talked about, and they even, um, I don't know if they interviewed her, but they talked about this song. Um, Her name is Madeline Puckett and she's out of Washington state. Mm -hmm. And she created this book called fantastic book wine folly. If you, okay. If you are really wanting to get into wine, go pick up the wine folly book. It is fantastic and i'm a very visual person and madeline puckett i'm sorry if i steal your thunder she came from being a graphic designer so her book is very visual and very very easy to follow sorry to interrupt so it's like a um yeah uh that i love her story Mm -hmm. so she was a graphic designer and then 2008 happened the crash the crash and um she was without a job and went to her local wine bar to have a drink and calm down a bit and take 2008 in. Mm-hmm. And um, she got to talking. I'm imagining somebody like you, you know, at a <laughs> wine bar, right? Like you're serving her, you know, like, yeah. oh, what, what's up? What can I pour for you? You know, and she's like asking all these questions or like wanting pairings. And you're just, you know, yeah. sitting there talking about all these cool things. And uh, so she had a great conversation with the person at the wine bar and was just like, what are all these things that you're talking about? And then she went down the wine rabbit hole and then combined these two interests together, which is this book, Wine Folly. And it is a picture book for wine grapes. Mm -hmm. Like each page is a different wine grape. And there's a, um, like a circular graph, like how this grape, um, expresses itself in cool climate versus warm climate and in between and what regions it grows in. But it's so much information, but it doesn't seem like it because it's all pictures. Right. It's amazing. It's almost like it's it's a book of infographics of yes. that wine. That I mean it, it is it's such a great resource when you're get when you're getting going and it makes 
it makes the world seem easier. Yes. The wine world seem easier because it takes, I mean, wine, wine can be so daunting when you start looking into it, but Madeline Puckett's book, Wine Folly and her new edition, Wine Folly Magnum, it, it makes it so accessible. So I got this yeah. book. Yeah. 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 This is an amazing book. So I picked it up and it was only like maybe $20 on Amazon. Yeah. And it's super affordable. Mm-hmm. And so I got this book and I would just flip on a, oh, yeah. open a random you page. O- you just open it up to whatever yes, page. whatever yeah. it was. And I was just like, all right, Tempranillo. Got it. I would go to Costco. I got good wine. Again, we all got to start somewhere. I got good wine over there. Go to Costco and I would buy like a $5 Tempranillo from mm-hmm. Spain. And I would pull up my little, my little book, my little graph. And I would go, okay. This wine, you know, this thing says that it could possibly have tobacco. Oh my God, I smell tobacco. And so I'd smell the wine and I'd look at the graph and I would, you know, try to like connect these dots of, okay, what is on this graph that I get in this wine? And so I would just go through like these different grape varieties and pick up these different things. And I mean, I got hooked. Yeah. And um, I was just like, I want to do this for a living. Like this, like, this is my journey. Like I I was so lost wondering what my journey in life was. Like I dropped out of school or college in 2010. It just, I was going to school for um, health science and it just was not what I wanted it to be. And so anyway, I was really searching for where my journey was again. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I was really, really homesick. And um, I wanted to be with my grandmother because uh, I lost my grandfather when I was living in Hawaii. And that was really hard. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to lose my grand. Like, I can't not be there. Right. Um, so I came back home and we are lucky enough in Little Rock to have a culinary school um, that... Um, there is a teacher who has his diploma of wine, mm-hmm. so through WSET. So he teaches level one, two, and three through mm-hmm. WSET. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I signed up for classes and I started um, studying like um, like in a textbook, like structured studying. And um, I got a job at a wine shop, mm-hmm. which was... Um, very convenient because yeah. everything that I studied that day, I got to um, reinforce that evening at the wine shop. I was like, all right, Chinon. We talked about Chinon all day. All right, we have a bottle of Chinon on the shelf. Okay. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm like connecting dots. And um, so, yeah, I studied for three years and I worked um, at this wine shop for three years and I tried to put cool wines and contrasting pairings and as many people's hands as would uh, allow me to. And, um, and then I worked for a restaurant yeah. as a psalm for a year in Northwest Arkansas. And then COVID happened. <laughs> oh, the wonderful COVID. Well, great. That's, that's an awesome story, Maggie. I've been drinking while you've been talking. So I'm going to, I'm going to step, I'm going to take care of the talking for a little bit and let you take a couple of sips because while Maggie's been talking, you know, I've been trying some of the pairings that she had. And I mean, that for, I mean, the, the pate, and if you can find any pate from, you know, a local butcher or a high-end food shop or the internet, um, please try it with a sweet wine. If you're at a restaurant and you order a glass of sweet wine with it, you're probably going to get some weird looks, even maybe from your waiter, but give it a try because it is so good. Mm -hmm. It's such like, if you think, oh my gosh, it's just going to be cloyingly sweet. It's just going to be, a, it's not just give it a try because that fat really just kind of covers and coats and that savoriness really plays well with the sweetness of it, especially when it comes to like pork and duck kind of like want that sweetness. And then this spicy nut mix that Maggie shared with us, 
is another contrasting pairing that just works so well. Like we mentioned before about Thai food and Riesling, how they work really, really well together. But this, like, I am a wuss when it comes to spiciness. And all of you can laugh at me and feel free to, you know, <laughs> blow up my, blow up the Instagram about how much a wuss I am about about peppers. But I will eat a raw jalapeno and I'll get the hiccups. Like, they're, they're too spicy for me. But... The sweetness of this kind of calms down that spiciness and just they go to start balancing each other because the acid kind of helps out the the spiciness. The sweet calms it down a little bit and it just it makes it so good. It's like a way better milk. Oh, yeah, it's a way better milk. (laughs) It's a way better. So, yeah, if you've got a bottle of sweet wine in your fridge and you you eat something too spicy, go grab that instead of the milk. And, you know, you may forget that you're feeling something spicy. So I do have one more pairing. So Uh I have this super like umami fatty pate. I've got the spicy mix. Mm -hmm. I also have a dessert. Oh, sweet on sweet. Really? Yes. So the only rule of thumb here Mm -hmm. is, well, first of all, if you want to bridge. So I have these, uh, it's a lemon citrus bar. So there's a lot of like candied citrus notes in this wine. Okay. Okay. So I'm bridging that. Um, But the key to doing a sweet food with a sweet wine is the wine has to be sweeter than the food. Okay. That's a really good, that's a really good tip. If it's the other way around, the food will make the wine taste bitter. Okay. So if, so let me make sure I I heard you right. So if you're going to pair a, a wine with a, with a sweet food or a sweet wine with a sweet food, the wine needs to be sweeter than the food. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's not going to taste great. Basically it'll make the wine taste bitter because Mm -hmm. that's too much sweetness at the front. So cool. I'm going to give this a try because I love lemon bars. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. It makes it taste like a, um, what are those lemon drop things that, uh, those hard candies. Oh my God. It tastes just like a lemon head. <laughs> lemon oh my, head, oh yes. my God. Oh my, and that took me back to the summers of the pool. Cause you could buy like a box of lemon head for 50 cents. <laughs> wow. That tastes just like a lemon head, but it makes, so it makes oh the gosh. wine taste so different. It does. Oh my gosh. It like almost takes out the sweetness of the wine. Yep. Wow. And I wonder if it's the powdered sugar that kind of gives it that confectioner, mm-hmm. that confectioner Makes it taste. taste candied. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. Or that could have already been in the wine. It could but have been. But it took just, the food to bring it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So tell me a little bit about being a woman in the man's world. Because I know, especially around here in Little Rock, I can only think of maybe two, three maybe four female wine professionals um, that I know, and there could be more if there are, come, come hang out. Let's drink a bottle of wine. Um, But kind of what was that like in, especially in the retail environment? What were some of your challenges? Man, so I feel like my answer is a little different because I'm not only a woman in a man's world, but I'm a woman in the Southern man's world. Mm -hmm. So we're a little bit more conservative here. We're a little bit more like, classic in our um roles of right, our, gender roles. our gender roles yeah, yeah. and so the gender roles in the south like typically you don't have women in the alcohol industry that's mm-hmm. a very male dominant thing in the south um let me tell you talking to people especially men about whiskey oh <laughs> goodness that, I was, bet that was tough oh my god i just yeah it's really really tough um, there were several times where I would go to the back and cry 
Mm-hmm. Um, like I, my skin got a lot tougher in yeah. those three years. Um, started out a lot more sensitive. Um, cause I mean, I would get so much pushback of, could you please just get me a male coworker? Like, I don't want to talk to you mm. for whatever reason. I never gave up Yeah, and I would just get back on that saddle and try again the next day. Well, it sounds, it sounds like you're saying, you know what? I still know what I'm talking about. I'm going to say, you know what? Forget you. Yeah. It almost and made me work harder. Yeah. Did you try and reach out and bring any more like female clients in? So yes and no. Like I didn't bring anybody in. Okay. Like, you know, I wasn't like contacting people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was so crazy. I would um, be approached so many times in the wine shop and like, oh my God, you're a woman and you work here. Uh, uh-huh yes like yes that's me no 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 you're a woman and you work here like yeah yeah what what can i help you can i please get your help because i don't want to talk to those guys like yeah i don't want to talk to that d-bag over there yeah. <laughs> and so i kind of cre- yeah like i started creating um yeah. my little circle of regulars that way mm-hmm. it definitely did start more women heavy yeah and um then I started writing a blog okay. for the wine shop Yeah, and my name was really tiny or like you had to look mm-hmm. for who wrote it, which was actually really great because then men started showing up in the shop oh. with like a printout yeah. of my blog and it didn't like, it didn't have my picture. Uh-huh. You know, it just had the name of the wine shop mm-hmm. and I would, I wouldn't even approach them. Cause like I got so much pushback, right? but I would just watch them go up to, um, other employees and like hand them this piece of paper and go, give me the wines on this list. <laughs> and then eventually like my coworkers started like introducing these people to me uh-huh. and that like some people were like, Oh, you, you wrote this <laughs> because for listeners out there, I'm a very petite woman. I'm a whole five foot two. Um, and I look very young for my age. I still get asked to this day if I'm old enough to drink. Um, I'm turning 31 next month. <laughs> Flattery should be asked for your ID. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> but st- as far as like credentials, and oh, people yeah. taking you seriously, it's just it, insult to injury. I kind of, that was like my way to, to have a voice was writing yeah and that like touched people and that touched me that I was touching people because I was literally just doing it for myself right and um and then yeah like that's how like people like we would like shake hands and yeah. exchange names and that's how I would pr- build regulars well and I know my mom my mom was one of those regulars she for you was. she was so my mom would go into the store I met y'all separately exactly. which is really she, cool. she actually met my mom first and kind of would, and my mom would be like, do you know this person, Maggie? And it was after we met and I was like, oh yeah, Maggie's great. We've tasted wine before. She's like, she is like the greatest person in the world. <laughs> She's so much better than you because she'll give me the 10 to, she'll give me the 10 to $15 recommendation. So you can give me the 20 to $25. And I was like, mom, <laughs> but no, like my, like my mom would tell me stories of like, she would like, she would text me before going to the store. I was like, do you know if Maggie's at the store today? <laughs> I go, I don't know, mom. I'm, a, I'm, te- I'm, I'm on my lunch break teaching school. And she's like, oh, well, okay. And I know she's like walked in the store and like looked like she's legitimately told people, no, I'm just looking for Maggie. No, I'm just looking for Maggie. And somebody would like tell her, oh, well, Maggie's not here today. And she would text you. 
I do remember getting she some texts. Yeah. She would text her and be like, so Maggie, what, what should I get today? Or what, what have you recently put out? Or like, what, what are my, what are my $10 picks? And then even after you move, there was once or twice she would text you and say, what should I give from the store? And it's just, you know, I, I love celebrating more women in wine. I think there need to be more women in wine. There need to be more people of color in, in mm-hmm. wine, especially especially around here. There aren't very many people of color in our wine market. And like we want to bring more people in. But I really love that you kind of stood out front and said, you know what? You don't like my suggestion. You walk over to that guy. He's going to tell you the same thing. And uh, you've told me a couple of stories of you. I'm the person that told that <laughs> guy what to suggest to yeah. you. Or uh, you told me a couple of stories where you've seen those guys who've come up to you and you've asked and they said, well, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to want to talk to somebody else. And they go talk to that person. And then that person comes and asks you and you Maggie, end up wrecking the mind. I need help. This person's looking for a wine. Are they really? Interesting. That's real interesting. <laughs> so how do you see kind of, what you've done before, like with this pairing, how, you know, the, your contrast pairing of, you know, the pate and the Sauterne, um, how has it influenced to how you kind of push wine or when you pair wines or when you bring it out, how do you kind of keep that going, um, in your, in your journey moving forward? Like just in my everyday life yeah. or professionally or like right now, that's a tough answer just because of uh, COVID and I work at a brewery. So it's real hard to recommend wine to people who True. are drinking beer. No, I mean, when I worked at the restaurant in Northwest Arkansas before this, recommend wines with their dinner as a pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really easy. I feel like this question is really challenging me. I, I feel like I'm really not doing anything right now. Or how, how do you kind of keep it going as you're kind of keeping your journey going into wine and like I know you're still studying and I know you're obviously still eating and drinking together. So <laughs> kind of how do you keep it going or what are some things you try and do to expand your pairing experience based on kind of where you started? I'm much more intentional. Like whenever I have a meal, especially like if it's with y'all, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, fellow people who enjoy wine because the wine enjoyment is much fewer and further between because of COVID. I don't get to see that many people and I definitely don't just get to see like large groups of people. Um, so yeah, it's like, okay, what are we doing tonight? We're doing Chinese food pot stickers, you know, like what wine do I like intentionally want to purchase or pull out of from underneath my bed to crack open? Like Mm -hmm. it's almost like just celebrating the here and now, like celebrating when I get to crack open a bottle because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So maybe not more of the holding, but let's, let's celebrate together and have good wine. Mm -hmm. This wine's so much better with people than on your own. Yeah. You ready to blind me? So ready to, I'm very excited actually. All right. I'll let you go get the wine and we'll kind of do a recap of how we're going to do this. So, um, so we're going to be blinding a wine once again, like I've said, um, I was, I've been trained through the, um, with the quartermaster sommeliers and their tasting methods. So in the first podcast that we did with wine, I forgot to tell my dad that, you know, these certain parameters that we taste under. But um, when we blind wines here from now on, we're going to be using the Court of Master Sommelier's advanced selection. So there are particular grapes, both red and white, and from particular regions that are what are called testable. So they're the allowable grapes um, that are going to be done. And so we're going to be tasting one of those. 
today. And um, this week I will put up the tasting grid that I use that was developed by one of my mentors in Montana when I was there, um, who's now at now out in Oregon at um, Domain Serene. And so I'm super excited about this one. Uh, the only thing I already know about it is that it's kept cold. So it's probably going to be a white wine. Oh, I've been I've been drinking some water to kind of clear up my palate, make sure it's not too sweet. Are you not going to taste some with me? Oh, all right. I'm super excited about this wine. Oh, whoa. Okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start this wine, and Maggie's going to be tasting along with me. Um, so this wine is a white wine. It is clear. Uh, there's no evidence of gas or sediment in it, and the legs on it, the viscosity, I would say, is just kind of medium. So it's kind of lending me to think that's going to be kind of a medium or a lower alcohol wine. Uh, the color on it is a pale kind of a pale yellow with like some gold or kind of like silveriness to it. Looks pretty. So right off the jump, there's some SO2 on this wine. So that was me blow, kind of blowing some of the SO2 out. That's definitely a clean wine. It's um, moderate to kind of delicate intensity. There's not a whole lot come jumping out at me right away. Oh yeah. There's, so there's some definite, Definite light floridity on this. Kind of, it kind of smells like it's light citrus. Some light citrus on it and maybe some like white apple. No, not apple. It's more stone fruit. Not a whole lot going on to it. Um, there is some like light veg vegetalness to it. Not really any kind of jumping out, at least right now on the nose, any kind of um, minerality or petrol. Not kind of any barnness. I'm going to go ahead and taste it. I kind of wish I had decanted this beforehand. Mm. Oh, it's a lot more expressive on the palate. The acid on this, you know, is going to be kind of medium plus. Uh, alcohol is going to be medium. Um, I mean, phenolic bitterness, I never really know, so I'm going to say maybe. I'm definitely getting some bitter green. Yeah. So there's definitely some of that phenolic, like kind of greenness on it. Um, it's definitely veg more kind of vegetal. Vegetal characteristics on it on the on the palate. It's a little bit of light sweetness, so maybe it might be kind of off dry. Um, yeah, there's some like apple and citrus, like pith and peel on it. A little bit bright. Um, yeah, it's definitely kind of more pit, pithy and zeth, zesty. Mineral kind of under, kind of near the bottom, like the bottom of the palate. There's like some mineral characteristic on it. There's some, yeah, definitely kind of stoniness. 
more citrus now that I'm kind of tasting it more. Some of that SO2 is coming off on it. <clears throat> yeah, not real much in the way of um, floridity. So a little bit of white flour way back there. Um, it's definitely kind of... Um, this is balanced. I would say kind of balanced toward the acid and kind of those citrusy, bright things that make your th things that make your mouth water and kind of pucker. Um, it's kind of medium complex. The finish is medium. It's not too too long on it. Um, I think this is an old world wine. I think it could. It's coming from a cooler climate. I think it could be Sauvignon Blanc. I think it could be Pinot. Grigio, I think in some strange land that I'm not tasting it correctly, it might be Chardonnay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take out that Chardonnay and put in um, Pinot Blanc. It's along the same lines. Um, possible countries, I think it's gonna come from France or northern Italy. Um, I think it's between one to three years old. Um, I think this is a um, it's, it's going to be mostly Savion Blanc. I think it's coming from France. I think it's coming from Loire Valley. I think it's coming from the end of the Loire Valley. If I had to guess, if I had to put my hat on it, I'd say it's possibly a Sancerre from 2018. So this is a very, very yummy wine. <laughs> I really, really like it. And Maggie's like over there like, I want to tell him. I want to tell him. I want to tell him. <laughs> but, this one just for you. Awesome. But all you guys have to come back next week to find out what we're going to do for what this wine was. And my dad will be back and it's going to be a beer podcast and we're going to do. Well, Maggie, I thank you for coming and and spending a great time with us and talking about your wine journey. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Follow us on Instagram at Acquired Tastings, Twitter at Acquired Tasting. Find us on Facebook and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Well, I'm Josh Mills. And I'm Maggie Snyder. And once again, this is Acquired Tastings and we'll see you next week. Cheers.